Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. I figure we could start this weekend with story time. You ready for a story? Was anybody in here a knucklehead when you were younger? Anybody in here still a knucklehead? There's only like 12 knuckleheads in this room. Nobody here needs Jesus but me. Okay, when, when I was a kid, I was, a, I was, man, I was trouble. And I was at a party. It was this, uh, the summer right before my junior year. It was a bunch of upperclassmen. I was the youngest person there. So I'm at this party, and there's a knock at the door, and nobody else is getting the door, and I was the youngest kid there. So I go over to open the door, and I answer the door, and when I open the door, there is a behemoth standing at the door, the biggest human being I'd ever seen in my entire life. This guy was gargantuan. He was Goliath. He was enormous. He was like 300 pounds of linemen in our 5A school. He was the biggest guy in the entire school. So I opened the door, and this dude's standing there, and I have no idea what I was thinking. I used to have impulse control problems. I don't have that problem anymore. (laughs) Standing there with this giant in front of me at the door, and I just slammed the door in his face and turned around and walked away. <laughs> and then I heard this very gentlemanly knock on the door. And I was like, hmm, I wonder who that could be. I walk out to the door and I open it again. And this guy walks up the steps, bends over, takes a hold of my ankle, and holds me up in the air like this. He, d- <laughs> he just held me in the air like this. Now, I was impressed at this point. <laughs> You see, true power is not the exertion of power. True power, the greatest power, is the restraint of great power. And this guy could have pulled a Hulk. He could have just gone. But he just held me, and he just looked at me like I was an idiot. And I said, well, hello. Uh, Would you like to come in? (laughs) And that was the beginning of my friendship with Chris, who turned out to be one of my best friends. Uh, he he, He was... oftentimes protected me when I got my mouth into trouble. He visited me when I was sick. When nobody else was around, Chris was around. But our relationship started by him knocking at the door and me slamming it in his face. Does that story sound familiar to anybody in the room? Anybody in the room start the relationship with Jesus kind of like that? How many times has he knocked at the door and you slammed it in his face? Like, I did it for 24 years straight. And to me, one of the greatest examples of the power of God is that in those moments, he never one time squished me like a bug. Now, I want to read a scripture that's going to be the foundation of everything else that we talk about today. This is John 10, 17 through 18. We have to understand that we have a God who didn't have to suffer anything that he suffered. He didn't have to. He chose to. Nobody made him. He was willing. Watch this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. Jesus was unkillable unless he was willing to die. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again when I want to. For this is what my Father has commanded. Today we're going to talk about the restraint of Jesus Christ. And why would he do that? Let's pray first. All over this room, let's just submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to you right now. 
Father God. God, whatever you want to say today, we want to hear it. Lord, whatever you want to teach us today, we want to learn it. God, your word says, anyone who has ears, let them hear. Every person in this room has got ears today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear. We submit our ears to you so that we can hear you. Lord, we submit our minds. Help us to understand what we haven't before. We submit our hearts. Lord, would you move on our hearts today? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me in power and anything of the flesh would fall to the ground and wouldn't come out of my mouth. But anything that's of you, anything of truth, anything of power, that would come out and your people would hear it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. All right, three times that Jesus restrained himself. The three times that I'm going to talk about today are three times when he was mocked on the cross. When I was a young person, I had a really hard time facing up to mockery. If you talked about my mama or you called me a name, I I bowed up. I had a hard time not getting into fights even though I was little. Jesus was mocked and he did not respond. The three times, if you're the Savior, save yourself. Prove it. Healer, heal yourself. Prove it. And if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe Anybody in here glad he didn't come down from the cross? All right, those three things. The first time, the first time Jesus restrained his power. Here's my question. Could Jesus have saved himself? Did he have to go and die on the cross? This is Mark 15, 31 through, 20, uh, through 32. He's hanging on the cross. He's dying for the world. And it says this, in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Luke 23, 36 through 37 says this, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. The question is, could he have done it? Could he have saved himself? And I just want to draw your attention to the perspective of John the disciple. John the disciple had seen Jesus drive a legion of demons out of a man. John the disciple had seen Jesus drive seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. John the disciple had seen Jesus walk across the water and reach in to save Peter as he was drowning. John saw Jesus tell a storm to shut up, and it did. John knew that Jesus could save himself. But this is one of my favorite episodes. This is John 18. Do you remember Jesus in the garden? Jesus was struggling with his will. He was struggling with the assignment in front of him. He had to go to the cross. He knew he was going to carry the sins of the world, and I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to face something like that. And as he was praying and as he was struggling and he was asking his father, take this cup from me. Finally, he says, not my will, but yours be done. And when he said, not my will, but yours be done, then the arresters, the soldiers came to capture him. It says this in John 18. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Okay, pause. There's four gospels, and in several of those gospels, it records that those soldiers were not just temple guards, but those soldiers were also Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers, legionnaires with hobnail boots 
and swords and spears and shields. These were the best equipped, strongest soldiers in the world. They faced barbarian hordes and they were trained to stand before them and not move. The strongest soldiers the world knew at the time. Now watch this. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, he said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. All right, time out. I want to just explain to you what just happened. Do you remember 1,500 years before this, Moses met God at a burning bush. And God told Moses to go and to set his people free from their captive, the Pharaoh in Egypt. And when Moses said, who am I supposed to say is sending me? God said, tell them I am is sending you. Tell them I am that I am. The name of God is I am. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh. So what Jesus just did is he spoke the name of God, I am, from the lips of the Son of God with just a little bit of power on it. And we, when he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. Like a pulse of power went out. And the strongest soldiers on earth fell on their cans. And all he'd done was speak his own name. Could he have saved himself? Holy cow. Now, right after this, you know what happens? He, he plays a Jedi mind trick on him. I love this. They're all on the ground. They're all on their faces. They're soldiers all around the place. You have to understand this. We have this image of Jesus, and they run up, and they rough him up, and they tie him up, and they drag him off. Jesus didn't have to be taken. They couldn't have taken him unless he let them. He just knocked them all on their butts, and all he did was speak a word. They're all laying there, and again, he asks them, who is it that you want? What were you saying just a second ago? And they said, ah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, I told you I'm he. Like, what are you doing laying on the ground? At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth to the glory of God. He spoke his name and they hit the floor. Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. Have you ever wondered why the disciples didn't get captured? Jesus commanded them, if you're looking for me, let these men go. You remember the Jedi mind trick? These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> Move along. These are not the droids you're looking for. Move along. Why do I say that? Because immediately after this, Peter draws out a sword and he attacks the Roman soldiers. They're like laying all over the ground. Peter pulls out a sword and he goes over and starts swinging at people and he cuts off one of the servants of the high priest's ear. Jesus takes the guy's ear off the ground and puts it back on his head and heals him. And he says, Peter, put your sword away. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. He says, don't you think that if I said the word, my father could send 12 legions of angels? Now pause. A legion has between 4,000 and 6,000 soldiers in it. That means 12 legions of angels, do the math real quick, is between 48,000 and 72,000 angels. Just for a little perspective, it only took one angel to kill all of the firstborn of Egypt. Just for a little perspective, in 2 Kings, it only took one angel to kill 185 
1,000 Assyrian soldiers, one angel. And Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. Don't you think if I wanted to, I could call down 12 legions of angels? I'm letting them take me. One angel could wipe out the armies of Rome, and I've got them all under my command. People of God, I have a question for you. Did Jesus, could Jesus have saved himself? I believe he could have saved himself. Why would he not save himself? What did you just say? What did you just say? Why would he save himself, Jared? If Jesus had saved himself, who would have saved you? If Jesus had saved himself, who would have saved me? Everybody put your hand on your chest. Why didn't he save himself? Say, because he loves me. The second time Jesus restrained himself. The first time, if you're the savior, save yourself. The second time, if you're the healer, heal yourself. This is in Luke 4.23. Jesus said, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Did you know that Jesus healed in the gospels individually 23 times, 23 separate times. And in those separate times, sometimes there were multiple people that were healed, like bunches of lepers at the same time would be healed. Jesus healed scoliosis, epilepsy, blindness, deafness, paralysis, issues of blood, dropsy, deformity, demon possession, mental issues, amputation. Jesus healed every single thing that came up against him. Could Jesus have healed himself? Have you ever thought about this before? Can you imagine John watching Jesus be tormented? Can you imagine... John was there when Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees, when they were punching him in the face, when they punched him in the nose and the blood began to come. Jesus' blood flowed, and John had seen him heal the woman with the issue of blood. He could have stopped it like that. John watched him as Jesus' beard, the Bible says his beard was pulled out. You know what happens when somebody pulls handfuls of your beard out? Your skin comes with it. John watched him, physician, heal yourself. John watched him as the soldiers wove together that that crown of thorns and pressed it down over his delicate brow. And then the Bible says, took rods and beat him in the head with it. Physician, heal yourself. John watched him as they tied him to the post by his hands. We have historical documents that tell us what a flogging looked like in Roman times. In Roman times, the flog was like a cat of nine tails. It had multiple strands. On the ends were points of iron or lead, and all throughout the strand were balls of lead. Also woven through it were pieces of bone and rock. So when the victim was struck and scourged from the tops of their shoulders, down their back, down their buttocks and their legs, every time they were struck, those lead balls would soften the tissue. Those lead balls would bruise. Those lead balls would cause swelling. And then the stone and the bones would come around the sides like claws and grip and tear. Historical documents tell us that when someone was scourged in this way, Their back and their sides and their legs were torn to ribbons. The muscle tissue was visible. So much skin was lost that the 
bones in the back were visible. The bones in the ribs. There's a prophecy of Jesus that all his bones could be seen. The, the reason is because his skin was whipped off of him. Hanging in ribbons. Sometimes people were whipped so badly that you could see the organs underneath the skin. Physician, heal yourself. When he was taken to the cross, oftentimes you've seen someone whose feet are nailed like this. You've seen a picture nailed like this. Typically, when the Romans would crucify someone, they would turn their feet to the side so that their body was turned. And they would drive the nails through their heels. Then they would stretch their hands up, often dislocating their shoulders, and they would drive those stakes through the victim's hands or through their forearm right here between the bones. When you drive a nail through the forearm between the bones, it hits and smashes the ulnar nerve that goes down here. You know what your funny bone feels like when you smash it really hard? Imagine someone taking pliers and wrenching it for hours at a time because every time he wanted to take a breath in order to do it, he had to pull against those nails with his arms and he had to push against those nails with his feet. That's why there's so few statements by Jesus on the cross. He couldn't breathe. He was asphyxiating. And in order to breathe, he had to push himself back up against his own weight, against those nails in his arms and, and in, his, in his heels. Physician, Heal yourself. Do you know the word excruciating comes from cross? What it feels like to be crucified is excruciating. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm convinced that at any moment he could have stopped that. As his blood flowed in rivulets down his sides, at any moment he could have stopped it. But every single one of those drops of blood is one of us. Every single one of those drops of blood means life for you. Every single drop of blood means life for me. He could have stopped it at any moment. Why didn't he? Isaiah 53, 3 through 6 says this. This is a prophecy written, listen, 800 years before Jesus died. Did you know the Bible's full of foreshadowing? For hundreds and thousands of years, they knew that Jesus was coming. For hundreds and thousands of years, prophets foretold what he would suffer. And so it's just kind of shocking that they were surprised when it happened. It says this in Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. You know, he can relate to us. If you've experienced sorrow and grief, Jesus can relate. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. If you've ever felt like everybody turned their back on you, Jesus can relate. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. If he hadn't been pierced, who would have paid for my rebellion? He was crushed for our sins. If he hadn't been crushed, who would have paid for my sins? He was beaten so we could be whole. If he was healed, how could my brokenness be healed? He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. 
Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't come to the earth to avoid pain and suffering. Jesus didn't come to the earth to avoid sin. Jesus came to the earth to carry my pain and my suffering. And Jesus came to the earth to pay for my sin. Is anybody glad to hear that? Oh, can you imagine how much restraint it took for him to stay there? Why would Jesus stay on the cross and not heal himself? Put your hand on your chest. Say, because he loves me. That's right. Now, the third time that Jesus restrained his power, Mark 15, 32 says this. Again, he's hanging on the cross, and they're mocking him. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. It says this in Matthew 27, verse 40. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others himself he cannot save? If he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe. You know what? The Pharisees had a fundamental misunderstanding of Jesus' mission on earth. Jesus didn't come to get off the cross. Jesus came to die on the cross and get out of the grave. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't get off the cross? Now watch this. I, man, there are 37 separate miracles recorded over the four Gospels. Those are just the ones that they recorded. Among them, before he died, are three resurrections. The first one is a widow's son. It's the only living relative she had, and he died. Jesus heard about it and went to the funeral. This boy was in the casket, and Jesus raised him from the grave. That's a pretty cool miracle. The second one is Jairus' daughter. He was a synagogue leader. And he didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But when Jesus heard that his daughter had died, Jesus showed up at his house and raised his daughter from the dead. That's a pretty cool miracle. The third one, and this is the one that got him in so much trouble, was Lazarus. The reason he got in so much trouble over Lazarus is because Lazarus had been dead for four smelly days. This dude was good and dead. This guy was dead as a doornail dead. You got to understand that when somebody dies in this tradition, they have a washing ritual. They have rituals that go for days where they cleanse the body and then they wrap the body. And then they have someone sitting over them reading psalms until they put them into the tomb. This guy was dead for a while. And when they did put him in the tomb, he'd been there for four days, which means he's past rigor mortis. This guy's bloating and decaying and stinking. Jesus walks up and everybody's mourning and Martha comes out and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you remember what he says? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, even if he dies, he will live again. Then Jesus walks up to the tomb as everyone's weeping. He takes a moment. The Bible says he rejoices with those who rejoice and he mourns with those who mourn. He takes a moment and he weeps over his friend. And then he looks up to heaven and he says something like this. Father, let's show him what we got. <laughs> then he says, roll the stone away. They roll the stone away and the 
waft of death, the odor of decay and putrefaction come rolling out of this grave because the guy's been dead too long. Jesus looks up at his father, looks at the grave and says, Lazarus, come out. And the dude, they hear, ooh. <laughs> stumble, stumble, thump. Stumble, stumble, thump. He's wrapped up. He's wrapped up. And can you imagine trying to get out of the grave? Jesus told me. Here I am, Jesus. That's why he says, somebody take the grave clothes off of him and get him something to eat. He raised this dude from the dead after four dead days. Now watch what happens. Everybody freaked out. This is John 11, 45 through 48. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Why? They'd been washing his body. They'd wrapped his body. They were friends and neighbors. They saw him die. They smelled his death. Why did they believe? They knew he was dead. And now he was alive. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Tattletales. <laughs> They're like, guys, 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 he raised somebody from the dead. What are we going to do? It's so funny. Then the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. He keeps raising people from the dead. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. We can't have that. We can't have people having faith in Jesus. They had a problem. If Jesus kept raising people from the dead, the whole world would believe. So you got to get this into your head, okay? The Pharisees' solution to Jesus' resurrection power was the cross. They thought that killing him would stop his resurrection power. Was there ever a bigger backfire in the history of the world? Listen, this is a bad plan. If there's a guy going around raising people from the dead, a good plan would be keep him as far away from dead people as possible. <laughs> Don't let him around any more dead people. Every time he's around dead people, he raises people from the dead. Just get him away from dead people. Instead, they think, I got a great idea. Let's take this guy and kill him and put him in the grave where all the dead people are. This is like the dumbest idea in history. Let's, listen, if, if you had a power line go down in your yard, you're afraid somebody's going to get hurt, would you put it in the pool? <laughs> no, because water conducts electricity, and anybody who got in the pool would get electrocuted. They had the power of the resurrection on their hands, and they thought putting it in the grave would make it stop. But the grave conducts resurrection like water conducts electricity. <laughs> Only dead people get resurrected. Oh, my gosh. You cannot stop the resurrection power of Jesus Christ by putting him in the grave. You can't stop the author of life by putting him in the grave. You know what happened? They killed Jesus, and as soon as he died, dead people started shooting out of the grave like Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Have you read the story? 
This is Matthew 27, 50 through 53. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, watch this, he gave up his spirit. You know why he had to give up his spirit? Because nobody could take it from him. I'm convinced that Jesus would have stayed alive on that cross as long as he wanted to because his superpower is he is life. You can't kill him. Everything they did to him should have killed him. They couldn't kill him. That's why he waited until he'd paid for all of our sin and suffering. And then he said, it's finished. That means I did everything I needed to do. And then he gave up his spirit. He gave it back. That's what the Bible said he has the authority to do. He has authority to lay his life down and take it back again. In this moment, he goes, okay, I'm done. And he gave up his spirit. Watch this. Guys, would you have done that? Would you have stayed there on that cross? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain represented the dividing line between heaven and earth. That curtain represented the dividing life between the Father God and his children. There was no one but a priest and the high priest allowed into the Holy of Holies until the moment that curtain tore in two. That dividing line was the body of Jesus Christ. It was ripped. God ripped it from heaven down to earth. So that there's no longer a barrier between the father and his children. Jesus did that in his body. At the moment, that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Why? Because the creator of the earth just went into it. Can you imagine? Oh, the rocks split. Why? Because the creator of the earth just went into the earth. The earth just went, the earth just bulged because more power than had ever been in it just entered it. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. When Jesus went into the grave, there wasn't enough room for anybody else. Everybody else just popped right back out. It was like, it's like if you've ever seen, you ever seen like a cartoon of somebody who's enormous who jumps in the pool and just blows everybody else out of the pool. It's like Jesus jumped into the grave, and when Jesus jumped into the grave, he began about, boom, and all the righteous dead people went, wah. <laughs> what am I doing here? I was dead a minute ago. It says, they came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine what the Pharisees were, were thinking? Oh, we only had Lazarus to deal with. Now there's dead people everywhere. They're, they're walking around, they're, and they're talking to people. And, they're, and what, can you imagine what they're saying? They're going around talking to people and saying things like, you don't understand. I was just in hell. I know what it's like. Jesus showed up, and suddenly he popped us all out of there. Jesus came down into Sheol, and when Jesus came down into Sheol, he popped all of us back out again. We were there, and he led the captives into freedom. He popped the dead out of the grave. Can you imagine their testimonies? This is the Pharisees' fundamental misunderstanding. Jesus didn't come to cheat death. Jesus came to conquer death. His mission wasn't to get off the grave. His mission, his mission wasn't to get off the cross. His mission was to die on it and to get out of the grave. 
Jesus could have come down from the cross. I'm convinced that he could have. Jesus could have cheated death. Could it be that he loved us more than he loved his own life? If you could get off a cross, wouldn't you do it? I, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. We, we tell this to each other all the time. I love you, brother. I love you, brother. I wouldn't die for you. I, would, I mean, the first time they pulled out my beard and they said, this is for Jim. I'd be like, I'm out, man. <laughs> Jim, you can pull your beard out, man. That, that stuff hurt. As soon as they start putting that crown of thorns on me, I'm like, I'm out, T.O., T.O., man, T.O. The scourging, would I do that for you? I wouldn't do that for you. The nails, would I do that for you? I wouldn't do that for you. I might do that for my little girl, though. Oh, I'm pointing at Sam. Sorry, dude. <laughs> that one. Hmm. I would do that for you. 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 You guys. Uh. <laughs> Could it be that the Father God loved you and me like his own sons and daughters while we were still slamming the door in his face? I want to read this to you. This is Romans 3.10. The Bible says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you are a member of all, put your hand in the air. The rest of you do not understand English. All means every single one of us. All have fallen short. All have sinned. If you're a member of all, you have sinned. If you don't believe me, ask your mama. You have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That means no one gets into heaven by being good. Because no one is good. Every single one of us have screwed up just enough to deserve punishment for it. This is what Romans 6.23 says. This is the punishment. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal Life in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid what we could not pay and then gave us what we did not deserve. 1 Peter 2.24 says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. Why would he do that? In Romans 5, 8, this is the answer. Why would he do that? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is, the, is God himself saying, this is the proof I love you. That he didn't get off, this is the proof I love you. And then 1 Peter 3.18 says this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. Watch, why? To bring you safely home 
to God. His mission was not to get out of it. His mission was to go through it and then to take you and me home with him to the father that we didn't know. It says he suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, why would he do that? Jesus saved others, but he didn't, he didn't save himself. If he, had, if he had saved himself, who would have saved me? Who would have saved you? Why did he do that? Put your hand on your chest. Say, he loves me. Jesus healed others. He could have healed himself, but he didn't. You know why? Because if, if he had healed himself, who would have healed us? If he had taken himself down, who would have paid for our sins? He could have healed himself, but he didn't. Why didn't he do that? Put, his, put your hand right here on your chest. Say, he loves me. Jesus could have come down from the cross to prove that he was the son of God, but instead he did something even better. He died on the cross. He went into the grave, and three days later, he proved that he conquered death. You know nobody raised Jesus to life but Jesus? He said, I have this command from my father. I can lay my life down, and I can take it back up again. He died when he decided it was time to die, and he got out of the grave when he decided it was time to get out of the grave. Jesus is so powerful, he didn't have to come down from the cross. He just waited and conquered death and came out of the grave. And because Jesus is resurrected, you and I, even when we die, because every single person in this room is going to, we will live again. We have a life after this one, and it's not a life of loneliness. The Bible says, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is that when I die, I'm separated from everybody I love forever. The sting of death is when I die, I'm separated from the Father God who loves me forever. The sting of death is ultimate loneliness and darkness. Jesus conquered the sting. So that there will be a death in my future, but that death is a graduation into the arms of my family and into the arms of my father. He took the sting away and he made a celebration instead. And he did that through the resurrection. I'm so glad that he stayed on that cross. Why would he do that? Put your hand on your chest. Because he loves me. If we passed the microphone around the room today, we would hear a hundred different testimonies of how Jesus healed people. If we passed the microphone around the room today, we'd hear a hundred different testimonies of how Jesus was knocking on the door and again and again and again, I slammed it in his face and still he wanted to be my friend. I remember when I was 24 years old, laying in the grass at the Laguna Gloria Art Museum in Austin, Texas. And I met Jesus for the first time. 
And you may not believe this, and it sounds crazy, but Jesus showed up and he talked to me. It's one of the reasons I know he's alive. Listen, you, you can tell me that my mother doesn't exist, but I talk to her on the phone. I know she exists. I go visit her house. I know she exists. You can tell me Jesus doesn't exist and he's not alive, but I talk to him. I know he exists. I actually met him at the Laguna Gloria Art Museum in Austin, Texas. He showed up. He was so bright and shiny, it was blinding, and he told me how much he loved me. And when he was done, I said, if you love me that much, I can't spit in the face of that kind of love anymore. I'll do anything you want me to for the rest of my life. And in that moment, that aha moment, the lights turned on. Everything went from black and white to color. How many of you had this experience? You had the experience where you realized that God loves you. Four people. We're getting the rest of you saved right now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.